Hey, this is Ethan Phillips from Star Trek Voyager, and you're listening to Treks in Sci-Fi. Yes, and welcome to Treks in Sci-Fi. This is Rico, and you're listening to the weekly Star Trek Sci-Fi Extravaganza podcast, coming at you sort of live from a sort of wet Michigan. Uh, it's a Sunday morning. It is September the 7th, 2008, and this will be podcast 190. Just 10 more to go before we hit 200, uh, which I'm guessing, let's see, let me do some quick math, two months, should be hitting around the mid to end of November or so, which uh, should be a good timing. I'm kind of hoping it would work out to be around like Thanksgiving holiday weekend. I'll have to count that out later and see how it works out. Anyway, on today's show, I am going to uh, be covering and, and doing more of our normal format show. The last couple of weeks have been a little different, but I think they've been fun. I had a lot of uh, real good fun last week doing the live uh, uh, third year anniversary show, and uh, that was uh, that was good times. So, but this week we're going to get back to kind of a more normal format. Uh, the episode for the week will be the Voyager uh, two parter called Futures End. Uh, you know, that's the one where they get to go back uh, appropriately to the about time era of when uh, Voyager was being filmed in the late 90s. So uh, that's a good uh, couple of episodes there. And we got a lot of clips and things to talk about for that. Uh, what else? We've got a couple of uh, listener uh, submissions this week. Uh, we've got uh, um, Kenny's got a good long report on the Star Trek experience, which just shut its doors uh, about a week ago. Uh, we've got some uh, segments from Vartok and, of course, Mr. Moyer coming up later on. So, hey, before we get started, let's play our theme and uh, get into it. Welcome again to the show, everyone. I uh, hope everyone's doing well out there, and uh, thanks for downloading and tuning in the show. Uh, also, uh, like I think I mentioned in last week's podcast, if you are enjoying uh, the uh, Treks in Sci-Fi adventure each week, please go over to iTunes or Podcast Alley and put up some comments uh, and things and a vote on Podcast Alley. That would be great. I uh, really appreciate those. I know it kind of goes in waves. Sometimes you get a few, and then it kind of fades down for a while and it's uh i'd like to see some new comments up so but uh, let's let's move forward i think 
Okay, there's, uh, again, not really been a lot to report about the uh, film and the movie, but uh, there are some comments, some new ones, uh, and he said some of this before, but J.J. Abrams, he's doing some press and promotion for this new television series that he's working on called Fringe, which comes out, uh, I think it's coming out in just a couple of days, premiering, and uh, it looks pretty cool, actually, sort of an X-Files-ish type show. Anyway, uh, there was a, some comments about uh, that they had been asking him also about the Star Trek movie. Let me just read uh, some of this. Let's see. How do you put your varied interests to work in a franchise like Star Trek, which has fans deeply devoted to certain immutable core elements? Immutable. Who uses that in an interview? How do you make it yours? And here's, uh, here's what J.J. had to say. Well, I was never the type of Star Trek fan that had expectations or limits about what the right version of a Star Trek movie should be, but at the same time, one of the reasons I got involved with Star Trek was because it has such devoted fans, so I felt it was critical to honor them and honor the series. I learned as much as I could about the show and looked for help from Bob Orkey. He's one of the writers, uh, or one of the creators of Fringe. He was also one of the writers of the Trek movie, and a vowed Trekker. He knows all the arcane details, so he was the one to keep me honest on the set. Ultimately, though, I wasn't making this movie just for the dedicated fans. I was making the movie for fans of movies in general. The final product, I think, doesn't require any prior knowledge of the show Star Trek. I mean, almost anyone, if you stopped them on the street and asked who Kirk and Spock are, they'd know. I think people will typically have some sense of who those guys are. And then there are fans who know every episode and argue about what the Star Trek canon is. I don't know any of those people. This movie does acknowledge a world that has pre-existed off the screen for decades, but when you see it, it's not going to be quite what you'd expect and definitely not just a rehash of things you've seen before. It's a very new take on the thing that is also beholden to it. It's a very interesting balance, which, again, now, you know, he's the guy that worked on the movie, how much he's just putting his own spin on this. Uh, but if you if you take him at his word and what he's saying there, it all sounds just, you know, Almost picture perfect. Uh, he obviously has to make a movie that's going to appeal to a wide audience. Star Trek for a little while now has needed to boost up its audience and boost up the fan base. Uh, so that's important. And, and it's probably maybe even more important with this new movie, especially since Trek has been kind of gone for a little while. And uh, they need to really sort of reinvigorate it. Reinvigorate it, yes. <laughs> so I think that's all good stuff that he has to say. Uh, well, I'll have to wait until next May to find out if all that turns out to be true. Uh, I'm, of course, still very excited for it. Uh, next up, I'd like to play uh, some of Kenny's report from the Star Trek experience. This is rather long, uh, but I do want to get it on the show. It's uh, He did visit it just in the last, I think, week or so before it closed. Uh, I will probably be breaking this report up. I'll probably play about half of it this week and half next week, I think. Uh, I think each section will be around 10 minutes or so. Uh, well, uh, without any further ado, here's Kenny and his uh, his experience at the Star Trek experience. Hey Rico, it's Kenny from California, and I just want to send in my report on my final mission to Star Trek The Experience in Las Vegas. And it's kind of long, so I'm going to break it up into two parts. Here is part one. If your listeners didn't know, Star Trek The Experience is closing at the end of August. When I heard this news, first of all, it was devastating. 
but uh, I knew that we had to go one last time before it actually closed down. For those who don't know what Star Trek The Experience is, it's actually an attraction at the Las Vegas Hilton. Um, there are restaurants, stores, it's all Star Trek themed. There's a, a museum of the future with props from the actual uh, movies and TV series. There's also two interactive rides, one's called the Klingon Encounter and the other one is Borg Invasion 4D. Uh, and both of them have interactive characters, you, you know, you're running around, you're on the bridge. Um, both have simulation rides. Uh, it's a lot of fun. It's uh, it's definitely a Star Trek fan's dream um, of, of, of actually Im- immersing yourself within the world. So Harry and I got there on August 24th, Sunday, and we got there bright and early, and there was a line. Um, we had gotten to the hotel Saturday um, midday, and this place was packed. Uh, I'm, I'm pretty sure it's because it's closing that it's so busy. Uh, the previous times I've gone, I've been about nine times. Uh, it's always been busy, but not like this. There were lines everywhere. And, which kind of made me happy because um, there are still fans who want it. So, uh, yeah, so we got in line, got our tickets. We actually purchased the Latinum package. This package includes a dual mission ticket, which means you can go on the ride as many times as you want, walk through the museum as much as you want. It also included Star Trek The Experience Secrets Unveiled, which is a behind-the-scenes tour, and they actually show you how... They do some of the rides, which was really cool. And also two free photos. One is in the captain's chair of the uh, Next Generation Bridge, and one is standing in a Borg Regeneration alcove chamber. So anyways, we wanted to do all that, so we, we got this nice little package deal, and we started our final adventure at the Experience. Um, when we entered, we immediately went past all of the goodies, the museum, all that. We just wanted to get to a ride first. Um, both rides were open, and both had super long lines, but the Borg Invasion 4D was actually a little shorter, so we actually jumped on that ride first. The Borg Invasion 4D is the newer of the rides. It opened, I think, in 2004, so it's only been around for about four years now. But what it is is you enter uh, Copernicus Station, which uh, we are like uh, volunteers, I guess you'd say, and within our within one of our blood would be uh, the possibility of uh, developing a resistance to the Borg nanoprobes. So you have the Doctor from Voyager on screen, and he's explaining this to you. And as he's explaining it, uh, the Borg attack the station, and uh, chaos ensues. So uh, you're running through hallways, and people are there's Borg walking around, and people are getting uh, you know snatched left and right, and they're fighting them, and they're trying to get you to the shuttle bay safely. And we eventually get to the shuttle bay, and this is where the 4D takes effect. It's like a theater. You sit down in it. Um, and, you know, you take off. There's the the seats move, and there's air blowing in your face, and you know, eventually we all get assimilated, and there's a cool effect that they do for that. But um, it's it's a fun experience. And then once you know, eventually uh, Voyager comes, and Admiral Janeway comes and rescues us from the Borg cube because we get taken into it. And then there's the Borg uh, Queen, and this is all in 3D, so she's out right in front of you, which is a great effect. 
but uh, eventually Voyager comes, rescues us, takes us back to Copernicus Station, and we're let off. And uh, each ride exits at uh, D Space Nine's Promenade, which is a bunch of shopping area. There's also Quark's Restaurant is down there, and um, it's just a lot of fun. So after we did that ride, we went down to, like I said, D Space Nine Promenade, and I was just devastated because all the shops are closed. They're all, like, boarded up, and it was just sad to see all that stuff gone. They actually had one store that was still open that they just kind of crammed all the leftover stuff that they had into that one store. So we did a quick pass, uh, but I didn't really see anything that I had to have. So after that, we walked over to to exit. At least uh, there's stairs that go up and around to get you back to the main entrance to go through the museum again. But as we're uh, beginning to exit, we saw these people doing caricatures, which were really cool because they're not just caricatures of yourself. They're caricatures of you as a Star Trek creature or one of the races of Star Trek. So, you know, if you wanted to be a Klingon, they would do you as a caricature as a Klingon. They were just totally cool, and we knew we wanted to do them. But there was a a big crowd waiting, and so since time was short, since we wanted to do everything as much as we can, we decided that we would do our uh, Borg alcove and captain's chair photos first. So we went to the waiting area, waited a little bit, a woman came, picked us up, takes you like behind the scenes of the experience and they're actually using because there used to be two Klingon encounters and the Klingon encounters uses the next generation bridge and now that the Borg invasion is there one of the bridges is free to do weddings and photos and stuff like that so that's the bridge that we actually go on and you get to sit there and they take your picture and they do the whole group and then you go to the next one which is a really tiny tiny room that's completely borgified. There's alcoves. There's like four alcoves on each wall. There's two uh, life-size Borg standing uh, right in, be- you know, on each side of the alcove that you stand in. So then you go and you stand in the alcove, and they take your picture, and then you can return later to pick up the pictures. So after we got our pictures done, I got a call from two of our friends who are also going to Vegas to do Star Trek The Experience one last time. They just arrived, so we met up with them, and since we had already done the Borg Invasion 4D, the four of us did uh, the Klingon Experience. And that's the original ride that opened with The Experience, and it's still my favorite. Uh, I don't know if because it was the first, or just because it's just so darn cool. Um, The Klingon Experience, what it is, is... You get ready to go onto a shuttle simulation ride, and you're standing there. They're lining you up. You're getting ready to watch a, uh, an instruction video of how to buckle your seatbelt and all that stuff. Um, and then all of a sudden, the there's static on the monitors, and all the lights go out. And there's sound, and you hear the transporting sound, and there's wind blowing. And next thing you know. You're standing on a transporter pad from the Team G Enterprise. So everyone's kind of looking around, and then there's a transporter chief in front of you, and they explain how the Klingons uh, tried to transport you from your time, because now you're in the future, you're in the 24th century. And um, anyways, they take you to the bridge of the Enterprise, the, the Enterprise D. 
So you're walking around through corridors, which is the best, and then you get to the bridge of the Enterprise, and there's people all around, all you know, Starfleet uniforms around. And then on the monitor, uh, Riker comes on and explains how the Klingons transported us from the past, and one of us is the ancestor of Picard, because as soon as they transported us, Picard disappeared, so they gotta get us back to the past so Picard comes back. So then you're all shuffled onto a turbo lift, and it really feels like you're moving. I mean, you know, it's, it's, I think it's just spinning. But it feels like you're going up and down and sideways. And all of a sudden, uh, the Klingons attack the Enterprise, and the transporter lift loses power, and you drop. And as they're trying to establish, you know, everyone's in character. That's what's so great, is that you're so immersed in this world, you know. And if you really play along, it's just a lot of fun. Um, but of course, they stop the turbo lift, and you get out, and you're walking through, like, engineering corridors um, to uh, the shuttle bay, where you actually line up for an actual shuttle ride, which is a simulation. You get in, and Jordy is in another shuttle in front of you, and you go through rifts, and if you've ever been on a simulation ride, they're pretty cool. And they finally take you back to Las Vegas, and then you're flying through the streets of Las Vegas, um, the Klingons come, and they attack you, and then the Enterprise comes and destroys the Klingon ship, and all is happy, and then they drop you, they go back into Vegas, into an ele- or into the Hilton, into an elevator shaft and drop you all the way down back to where you were supposed to go initially before you got transported off. Um, and then again, the ride ends and you walk out onto Deep Space Nine's promenade. Um, it's just an awesome ride. It's so much fun. Well, thanks very much, Kenny, for that great report. I, I, I'm, I know I'm always going to regret it and I'm kicking myself now. Ow, ow, stop that. <laughs> That that I never was able to make it out there to go to that, uh, you know, I really thought I had another year. Uh, it would have, uh, one of the things I wish they would have done, and, you know, this is all, doesn't really matter, I guess, anymore, but it just seems like, you know, there was rumors they were going to close it for a long time, and when they finally announced that they did, it was, you know, they it was, what was it, a month maybe, if that, or two before the the closing date, like they announced it in July or something like that, that it was going to close, and then it closed in the beginning uh, of September. I don't know. I just wish they had announced it, you know, say, hey, we've, we were giving everyone till the end of uh, 2008 or something like that. But uh, anyway, I'm really glad that you were able to get there one more time. Thanks for that report. Uh, uh, great detail. It really makes me feel like I was there. Uh, Kenny also, had, like I said, has more to, to say about the experience, and I will be playing the rest of his uh, report next week. Do you love music? Have you found yourself saying this? You know, popular music just doesn't have enough Star Trek or sci-fi references. Well, you're in good company, and you're in luck, because now you can have your great music and geeky references all with my new Star Trek and sci-fi parody music page. Yep, that's right. I was tired of waiting around for my favorite artists to write Star Trek songs. So I borrowed their music, and I made it myself. And now you can enjoy it for free. Check out hits like Another One Becomes Us, or Life is Just a Holodeck, Ship in a Bottle, and Humans Playing Dom Jot. That's just a few. Head over to www.christrocks.com parody and treat yourself to a plethora of Star Trek and sci-fi MP3s. Inspired by Rick Dosti's Treks and Sci-Fi podcast, I have a whole page dedicated to music that every geek will love. So, 
log on today and head to www.christrocks.com slash parody. You won't be sorry. Rock on, fellow geeks. Yes, definitely uh, take a look at Rick Moyer's uh, page there, and you'll be able to pick up uh, all the individual MP3s of the uh, parody Trek songs that he's done for the show over these many months and years now. It's it's great stuff and a lot of fun to listen to, and I always appreciate uh, what he manages to come up with and sends in each week. Very creative and always great to listen to. And, uh, hey, we've got one uh, appropriate for today's Trek episode later in the show, so you'll be hearing that uh, uh, in a little while. Uh, we've got uh, one more um, segment to play, and then I'll be getting into the Future's End uh, comments or, or whatever you want to call it, review, commentary. Uh, the next, uh, we've got a segment uh, about Babylon 5 uh, by Vartok. And some of the, I think this is about some of the sounds of music from the show. I haven't had a chance. I just got it off my email this morning. I haven't had a chance to listen to the whole thing yet. But he's got this like he normally does in two parts. The first one's about six minutes. And I'll play that for you right now. Hello everyone, this is Vartok again. Instead of this music and sci-fi segment being all about a single composer, I've decided to try something a little different this time. One of my favorite sci-fi series of all time was the Babylon 5 series, created by J. Michael Straczynski, which ran five seasons from 1994 through 1998, with 110 episodes, five made-for-TV movies, and a Babylon 5-inspired spin-off series called Crusade, with 10 episodes. Babylon 5 as a sci-fi series took place in the year 2258, aboard a space station called Babylon 5, with 250,000 occupants from different worlds. The purpose of Babylon 5 was to serve as an interplanetary United Nations and keep the peace among the League of Non-Aligned Worlds. It takes place ten years after the Earth-Minbari War. Commander Sinclair takes command of the giant five-mile-long cylindrical space station orbiting a planet in neutral space. Located at a crossroads of interstellar commerce and diplomacy, Commander Sinclair, and later in the second season on by Captain John Sheridan, must try to establish peace and prosperity between various interstellar empires all the while fighting forces from within the Earth Alliance. It is a precarious command, particularly given that sabotage led to the destruction of Babylon Stations 1, 2, and 3, and 4 vanished without a trace. Now to me, one of the special aspects of Babylon 5 was its creative use of sound effects and music cues. So for this Music and Sci-Fi podcast, I would like to reintroduce you to a host of those sounds while playing some of the music in the background. Sometime in the future, I do plan to do a music and sci-fi segment on Christopher Frank, the primary composer for the Babylon 5 series. 
For this segment, I wondered if I should tell you what these sounds represent or just let them play. Well, I chose just to let them play without my interference. This is Captain John Sheridan. Greetings from Babylon 5. just committed a fatal error. There's nothing we can do for you. Dismissed. Well, we're screwed. Files accessed. <coughs> You're insane. On any other day, Mr. Morton, you would be wrong. Today, today is a very different day. And so it begins. And now, the poser for later in this podcast. How many of the 110 Babylon 5 series episodes were written by just J. Michael Straczynski? Stay tuned, and I'll be back with the answer later in this podcast. Thanks very much, Vartok. Always great to hear from you and your musical knowledge base. And uh, Babylon 5, great show. I did a podcast on that. Uh, Love the music, too. Uh, I, my guess for your question about the number of episodes that uh, Straczynski wrote on his own, I think it's a lot, and I know it is a lot. It's it's in it's maybe a hundred. Uh, what did you say? There's 110, I think, total. 
He he wrote a lot of them and uh, just, I think, nearly killed himself over doing the show. Anyway, I'll be interested to see what you say, uh, what the real number is uh, later on in the podcast. And uh, now I think it's time to move into this week's Star Trek episode commentary and review. Well, it's time once again for the episode review on Treks in Sci-Fi with Rico. Okay, again, this uh, week we're going to be looking at the two-parter Future's End, which is from Voyager's uh, third season. This is uh, a two-parter, like I said. It was written by Bronan Braga and Joe Minoski, uh of course, Brandon, uh, a big, uh, pretty much the head writer on Voyager. It was also directed by David Livingston, a very seasoned director for the series, and for uh, he did uh, directed Generations as well, I think. So uh, we've got uh, some good people uh, working behind the scenes here, and of course our regular cast. Uh, the episode was first shown back on November sixth, nineteen. 19- Six or nineteen sixty, nineteen ninety six. Excuse me. So about approximately twelve years ago, and I can still remember when I first saw this set of episodes, and uh, I really enjoyed it. I I always enjoy the ones where they they go back in time, and you know they're around our era. It always creates some humorous moments and a lot of fun for the crew. They get to use Tom Paris and his knowledge of. Uh, ancient earth uh, culture and history although he's a little off and and that's always fun too during this episode but basically the episode starts off with uh, they they encounter this uh, time ship from the future voyager gets tossed back in time and then most of the next uh, rest of the first episode and the second episode are take place in the uh, you know the late 1990s on earth so um, that's the kind of the scenario that's going on and uh, i want to get right into the clip so we spent uh a good part of the show on some of those uh, submissions this week, and this is a two-parter, so we have a lot to get through. Uh, but uh, it's uh, well worth looking at this set of episodes. Voyager did a lot of uh, cool two-part uh, stories throughout its run, and uh, they were some of the more interesting and detailed episodes, uh, the, the ones that at least stand out in my mind a lot of these two-parters. And I've covered some before, and uh, I've been meaning to get to Future's End. Uh, I also like the uh, the guest cast in this as well. You have, uh, let's see, we have Ed Bagley, who's uh, Ed Bagley Jr., who plays Henry Starling. You have Sarah Silverman, the comedian, playing uh, Rain Robinson, and uh, she does a good job. And uh, I think uh, a lot of the episode, or a lot of parts of the episode that I like, are her situation and, and her relationship with Tom Paris and Tuvok, and, and their, all their scenes I, I really enjoy quite a bit. So let's get into uh, part one and uh, the first clip that I have. Starship Voyager, I'm Captain Braxton of the Federation timeship Aeon. I've come from 29th century Earth, 500 years into your future. Please disengage your deflector pulse. Why are you firing at us? Your vessel is responsible for a disaster in my century, a temporal explosion that will destroy all of Earth's solar system. I've come back in time to prevent that occurrence. My mission is your destruction. You must not resist. I'm going to need some more information before I allow Debris you to... Debris from your secondary hull was found in the explosion. Captain, I simply... No time! He's remodulating the subatomic disruptor. Our deflector is losing power. It won't hold much longer. 
Captain, if he's telling the truth... I won't sacrifice this ship and crew based on a ten-second conversation. I need proof. Doesn't look like we're going to get it. Adjust our deflector to match the frequency of his weapon. Try to overload his emitter. It seems to be working. His weapon is offline and his ship has been damaged. The rift is destabilizing and he's being pulled back inside. Re-establish helm control. I'm trying, Captain, but we seem to be caught in some kind of graviton distortion. We're being pulled in, too. Yeah, some pretty hefty uh, techno babble there. And, uh, you know, the, the whole time thing and time paradox uh, situation is a little confusing. Even Janeway has a few uh, thoughts and comments in this episode about it. You know, if in the future that this this thing happened and Voyager did cause this catastrophe, well, how is this guy now coming back? Wouldn't that have really messed things up and Starfleet and all that? And now he's coming back to stop them and... And then towards the end of the second part, you know, the whole thing has sort of changed a little bit, and it's it becomes kind of confusing. And it, it, it really is just a big setup for them to have sort of this fun adventure and kind of get the cast out on location and, and to get to visit some places and see them a little uh, out of uniform and just, just do something a little bit different. So uh, what else we have? Uh, the next uh, couple of clips are... Um, uh, them sort of orienting the orienting themselves to uh, the situation. So here we go with uh, the next clip. North American continent, Pacific coast, the city of Los Angeles. We've got to go down there. If it is Captain Braxton, he's the key to all this. And at the moment, his ship is the only way we have of getting back to our own century. Chakotay Tuvok, Paris, you're with me. Mr. Kim, you have the bridge. Yes, ma'am. As I recall, Tom, you are something of an aficionado on 20th century America. That's right. What will we need to pass as locals in this era? Simple. Nice clothes, fast car, and lots of money. I like this episode for, um, like I said, uh, a few different things. Uh, another one that's kind of fun here that you get to see for the first time is is Ensign Harry Kim gets to take the big chair and uh, gets, um, the, you know, the chance to command Voyager and make some pretty pretty important decisions throughout this episode. And he does a good job in general. I'm kind of happy to see that. And uh, again, uh, the the situation uh, with them being just above Earth and satellite detection, and that becomes a little bit of a problem, and they are eventually sort of detected, and that causes a few issues as well. The next clip here, this one's a kind of an interesting one. I like it. Uh, Braxton, of course, has, uh, has crashed on Earth, but he crashed about 30 years before Voyager got there, and he's been sort of living as this crazy homeless guy, and he's been in and out of institutions, he says, and you know, he's trying to, you know, the, the future is going to, you know, be destroyed and, and all these things he tries to say. And you'd think this guy would be a little smarter being from the future uh, and and be able to handle the situation a little bit better. You know, Voyager kind of pops in and solves the whole thing. Of course, they have the luxury of having the ship and technology still. He loses his time ship to this Starling character, and that creates, obviously, the whole problem that uh, they're trying to solve throughout this two-parter. So... This next uh, little exchange here is between uh, Braxton, who they find, and Janeway and Chakotay. 
But you wouldn't listen to me. No, you were too concerned with yourselves. You were trying to destroy us. I was trying to save billions of lives to stop a chain of reaction that started with Voyager. But it's too late now. Oh, all things are set in motion. The temporal explosion will occur. The end is coming. The future's end. Captain, how long have you been here? In the 20th century? Oh, too long. 30 years too long. And yet we just arrived. Why? Pure chance. And when you knock my navigation system off course, there's no, no telling where we would have ended up. Who's been here? Who took my pencils? Oh, always something missing. People always wanting to steal things. Oh, greedy people. Both industrial barbarians. Captain, we want to help you, but you've got to give us more information. Yeah, that uh, actor there playing Captain Braxton is named uh, Alan Royal. He uh, does a great job playing kind of this crazy hobo guy uh, in the episode, and it's it's a lot of fun to see. Although, again, I, I'm that's one of my, you know, I, there's always going to be a few problems I have with uh, or that anyone has with any of these episodes when you look at them real closely, and that's one of the troubles I have is this guy. You know, you think a guy from the 29th century should just be able to you know, do okay at least in the 20th century and and not become and get in the situation that he's in. I, I guess you could kind of put the other side of it in that he was frustrated and, uh, you know, the authorities picked him up. He says something about he was in an institution for a while. But it's, again, that, that part of this episode is a little hard for me to swallow, but I guess they needed that. Obviously, he couldn't solve the problem on his own when until Voyager got there. So uh, the next clip... This one is a fun scene. Uh, there's this character, uh, Rain Robinson, played by Sarah Silverman. She's an astronomer. She works at Griffith Observatory, and she detects Voyager uh, and tells uh, Starling at Chronoworks because he sort of advised her, hey, if you ever see a, something that's emitting a frequency of this, blah, 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 technobabble thing, is she's kind of watching the sky, and that, that allows her, even though Voyager's trying to stay out of sight, uh, to detect them. Uh, but this is a scene with uh, Tuvok and Tom who go to the observatory and meet up with uh, Rain, who's an interesting character. And, well, let's play the clip. Excuse me. Do not enter. Employees only. The sign on the door. Uh, I'm sorry. I think we're a little lost. We were on the museum tour and we took a wrong turn at the Saturn exhibit. Perhaps you could tell us how to get back to the lobby. Go back down the hall, take a left at Mars, right at Halley's Comet, and then just keep going straight ahead past the soda machine. This lab is uh, pretty groovy. Groovy. What do you do here? We watch the skies. For what? Signs of extraterrestrial life. Nice meeting you. My name is Tom Paris, by the way. Rain Robinson. Your curves don't look so great. Excuse me? This is a Fourier spectral analysis. That's exactly what it is. You know, you might get better resolution if you adjust your amplitude parameters. <laughs> You're probably right. Or you might try using a theta band filter. You know a lot for someone who can't find his way past Saturn. <laughs> I majored in astrophysics. Where? Starfleet Academy. Never heard of it. Uh, East Coast School. Orgy of the Walking Dead? That's a classic. Did you see the sequel? 
Um, Bride of the Corpse. Let me guess you minored in B-movies. Something like that. <laughs> Pardon me, Tom. We should be going. Our friends are waiting for us. Yeah, that's a great scene. It reminds me, uh, you know, little touches in this uh, set of episodes remind me a lot about some of the things that happened in, like, City on the Edge of Forever with Spock and Kirk on Old Earth. And, uh, you know, he just offhandedly, you know, where did you go to school? Oh, Starfleet Academy. Oh, well, that's an East Coast school. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's just a lot of fun to see and, and, and listen to that and Tuvok's there and uh, there's some more parts I have uh, between them in the second part of this uh, two-parter, so we'll be playing that here. The next uh, clip, what do I have this one labeled as? Chronoworks. I think this involves uh, Starling and what's going on there. Of course, he's the one that uh, has captured uh, Braxton's time ship, and he's been sort of cannibalizing it and using the technology for his own sort of personal gain. And there's a neat little... Uh, way they tie that into the late 20th century and technology and computers um, that uh, I think is a pretty slick little idea. So listen to this. Every few years, there's been an equally revolutionary advance in computers, all from Chronoworks Industries, all based on Starling's crude understanding of 29th century technology. Are you thinking what I'm thinking, Chakotay? I wish I weren't. The computer age of the late 20th century. It shouldn't have happened. But it did, and it's part of our history. All because of that time ship. Look at this. Gantry, power conduits, telemetry consoles. This looks like a design for a launching bay. Braxton was right. The ship's going to be launched. I've got to send these schematics to Voyager for analysis. Janeway to Voyager. Kim here, Captain. We're in Starling's office. I want you to establish a comm link with my tricorder and try to upload his computer database. Aye, Captain. We'll need a few minutes to reconfigure to their binary system. Acknowledged. Let's see if we can find out where the location of that launch pad is. You're really getting the hang of this. I'm a quick study. You know, Captain, in a way, Braxton was right. If we hadn't fought him when he tried to destroy Voyager, he wouldn't have been pulled back in time, his ship wouldn't have crash-landed on Earth, and none of this would have happened. Time travel. Since my first day on the job as a Starfleet captain, I swore I'd never let myself get caught in one of these godforsaken paradoxes. The future is the past, the past is the future. It all gives me a headache. Hold on. Yeah, so that's kind of interesting there, you know, again, that he's been able to use his technology to um, create the whole computer and, you know, all the chips that have been released that we've seen, <laughs> all because of some future ship and technology that has come back in time. And, but, you know, if that didn't happen, then we wouldn't have computers where we are now, and maybe the future would be different because we would be behind uh, Again, like Janeway says, it's kind of this big paradox. It's kind of a, a little hard to wrap your head around, but... Uh, Anyway, the uh, next clip, this one, the next one is just the last part of the first uh, episode in this two-parter. And uh, it is an exchange, I think, between Janeway and Starling. So uh, listen to this. Get us back into orbit, and I want a full damage Captain report. Captain Janeway, Henry Starling here. This is Janeway. USS Voyager, intrepid class. Much bigger than I expected, and much less advanced. Says here your ship was launched in the year 2371. You're from the 24th century. And here all this time, I thought you were from the 29th. Looks like I have the home field advantage. Ooh, what's this? Oh, now this is interesting. Damage reports are coming in. Some minor power fluctuations in the impulse drive and a few burned out circuits in the main computer core. Nothing we can't handle. 
Sick Beta Bridge. Captain, I can't find the doctor. Is his program offline? No. His program is gone. Where am I? Who are you? Welcome. Captain, this is Neelix. There's something on the television I think you should see. It's a current events program. I asked Neelix to monitor Earth broadcasts. I'm transferring it to the main viewer. Incredible footage was caught just an hour ago by a man using his camcorder to tape a backyard barbecue. The massive, unidentifiable object does not appear to be a meteorite, weather balloon, or satellite, and one aviation expert we've spoken to has stated that it's definitely not any kind of U.S. aircraft currently in use. We're awaiting investigation by local authorities, and we'll keep you updated as news develops on this incredible story. When you're not listening to Treks in Sci-Fi and our friend Rico... Please listen to the Anomaly Podcast. You can find us online at anomalypodcast.com. That's A-N-O-M-A-L-Y podcast.com. Okay, I'm back now. We're going to be getting into looking at part two of Future's End. The, um, a couple things more about part one, though. They, they got to do a lot of location shooting in that episode, they went out in the Santa Monica Pier area. That's where you see them when they're first down on the ground uh, and walking around with the natives. And uh, they're also out at Griffith Observatory. Also, uh, what I wanted to mention, too, when, they, when you watch this episode, uh, in, when they're in the Reigns office there, there's a few little subtle things from uh, that are Trek-related. There's a... Uh, there's a I, they're saying it's a Telosian, but I don't know. It looks more like... Uh, from this island earth the metalunan uh creature with the big head uh there's a little like action figure there in her office there is also a toy model of the botany bay of course which is con ship that kirk picks up you'll be able to see that if you look closely in her office and kind of fun little touches like that uh, that they put in this uh, episode but now on to uh part two I want to play this first clip for you. This is between the Doctor and Starling. You know, he at the end of Part 1, he was able to download and capture the, the Doctor's program. Uh, and, and one other little bit of, uh, or part of this set of episodes that I have a little trouble with is, even though Starling does have this technology from the 29th century, it seems still rather easy of the way he's been. he's able to counter, kind of uh, counteract Voyager and download these things and get into the computer so easily. I mean, okay, yeah, his technology is better, but he just seems to be able to do it much too easily for me. I guess it was kind of necessary, or else Voyager would have just basically swept in, taken the time ship, and, you know, you know, washed their hands and been gone and done. So I, I, I can understand that they needed to make it a little bit more of a challenge, but I don't know, there's just still something kind of a little simple and easy about the way he does, you know, what he's able to do here. But uh, uh, let's move on. The clip here, the, again, this is between the Doctor and Starling, and uh, that's the uh, other big factor, big change that happens in this episode is uh, one thing that, that comes out, and it's kind of a big benefit, is the Doctor ends up with this hollow emitter that allows him to move about and get out of sickbay, which I think was a, a huge plus and a huge, uh, you know, just a really good move for them to be able to uh, let Robert Picardo and the Doctor uh, uh, sort of let him loose a bit more. Uh, after this episode took place. So listen to this uh, clip, and I'll be right back. All Captain Janeway's talk about a disaster I caused is just smoke. You came here to steal my time ship, 
That is simply not the case. That time ship is from the 29th century. Technology 500 years more advanced than anything you've got. You'd love to get your hands on it. You figured I'd be an easy target. Some backwards 20th century Neanderthal who doesn't know what he's got. But you found out otherwise, didn't you? A paranoid response indicative of bipolar personality disorder. If my history is accurate, Southern California in the late 20th century had no shortage of psychotherapists, competent and otherwise. I suggest you find one. Now, return me to Voyager. I've learned your weapons are damaged, your ship's teleporter is half shot, but I didn't get all the personnel files. I have to know my enemy. Give me Captain Janeway's psychological profile. I'm a doctor, not a database. I'd say you're a little bit of both. Start talking. <laughs> Or suffer the consequences? Hardly. I'm a hologram. I experience neither pain nor fear of death. You have no means of coercing me. Pain. It's an interesting sensation, isn't it? I, I never realized. Yeah, so not only is Starling able to grab the doctor off Voyager, he's able to quickly rewrite his uh, program and allow him to experience, you know, feelings of pain uh, and try, you know, in trying to get information from him. Uh, that's what he does there. It's, again, eh, I, I don't know. I had a little trouble with that as well. I mean, he doesn't like, in, in in literally seconds and i know this is tv and it's a tv episode and things have to happen really fast but did it really matter i don't i don't really see that it really mattered because it really doesn't have a bearing in the episode it's not like oh okay i'll talk i'll talk that doesn't really happen here so i would have probably not done that i would have uh you know maybe had him try to do it or something but anyway uh they move on in the episode uh they send down a shuttle with uh balana and chicote Uh, to try to grab Starling and transport him up, which they eventually are able to do. And the next clip that I have is once they get Starling aboard a Voyager, Janeway has a good exchange with him. And, uh, you know, basically she's kind of in charge now and tries to uh, convince him of, of what he needs to do and, and to give up the time ship. To get more technology. That's why you're launching the time ship. I've cannibalized the ship itself as much as I can. There's nothing left to base a commercial product on. And the future is just waiting to be exploited. You just don't get it, do you? I created the microcomputer revolution. Using technology you never should have had. Irrelevant. My products benefit the entire world. Without me, there would be no laptops, no internet, no barcode readers. What's good for Chronoworks is good for everybody. I can't stop now. One trip to the 29th century, and I can bring back enough technology to start the next 10 computer revolutions. If you even attempt to travel to the future, you risk creating a temporal explosion that could cost billions of lives, including your own. I'm willing to take that risk. Yeah, so obviously Starling is, is a little uh, egocentric and isn't going to be convinced otherwise. And he manages to get off Voyager as well through help of his assistant to uh, Mr. Dunbar, <laughs> who doesn't really say a lot in this episode, but he seems rather capable, I guess. Uh, the next clip, this is a nice exchange. Uh, Paris and Rain are, are traveling, and, uh, well, she has some fun things to say about 
the little group of them that she's met up with. So listen to this one. Talk about a motley crew. We have the doctor, a guy with the worst, worst tasting clothing I've ever seen. Tuvok, and a freakosaurus. Has the guy ever cracked a smile? Not that I can recall. And you, Tom Paris. Hmm. Sexy. In a howdy doody sort of way. Pretty goofy. Although sometimes I think you're the smartest man I've ever met. All this running around you do, your mission. You're so dedicated, you know? Like, you care about something more than just your own little life. Is that so unusual? Yeah, I like that exchange there. It's really genuine and nice, and uh, it's that that kind of thing has happened before in Star Trek, where they they talk about how you know in the future the you know that the, there's just more of a sense of you know this dedication and purpose, and when people from you know our era see that, they're just kind of shocked by it a little bit. You know that you're not out just for yourself. You 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 feel like you need to do something more and, uh, you know, for the benefit of, of, of humankind or whatever you want to say. And, uh, you know, Rain there is a little shocked and a little surprised. But I think she's kind of, you know, she kind of likes it. It's kind of groovy to her to uh, to paraphrase uh, Mr. Paris and his uh, his take on our, our words that we use. <laughs> but uh, anyway, and then there's this, I didn't really capture a lot of clips from it, but there's this whole bit with uh, Chicote and Bolana. Their shuttle crashes out into the desert in Arizona, and they're picked up by these kind of hillbillies who are kind of anti-government, and they kind of keep them down in this little area in the, you know, in a, in a kind of a out, you know, whatever you want to call it, outbuilding. And, you know, there's that whole, like, they they... That I don't know that part of the episodes I didn't really need that much, so I didn't really capture a lot of it. I didn't think it was all that critical. Of course, they're rescued and uh, saved, and there is a kind of a fun scene where the doctor walks in and rescues them, where they're trying to shoot at him. But since he's a hologram and he has his little mobile emitter and all that now, nothing really happens. Uh, he's not a, he. They're not able to shoot him, but he can do things to them. You know, he blasts one of them or stuns them with a phaser. I think so. Uh, the next clip, though, this is another bit with uh, Rain and Tom Paris, and uh, when they're saying goodbye, and I think this is pretty uh, pretty good. So listen to this. I've got the transporters back online. Mr. Paris, stand by. We're bringing you aboard. Acknowledged. Your spaceship's waiting. I've never met anyone quite like you. And I don't think I ever will. Same here. Say hi to Saturn for me. I will. Yeah, so Mr. Paris kind of gets the girl in this episode, which is, uh, you know, he was always kind of like the Kirk character in Voyager, I always thought. He was a bit of a wreck 
a reckless guy and uh you know he a little bit uh you know not exactly by the book and uh, i always liked uh, his his character robert ducky mcneil i met him at a convention uh several years back a real nice guy and uh uh, very uh, personable, and I uh, got a picture with him in that and signed an autograph for me. So he's a uh, real, real, real genuine kind of down-to-earth actor, and uh, I think he did a good job here. I think I have a feeling his character of Paris was not too far off from the way he really is. So, hey, let's finish up the episode. i got a couple clips left to play. Uh, there is uh, the scene, of course, where they're stopping Starling. He's launched the time ship, and he's trying to uh, head to the 29th century with it. But, of course, Voyager uh, won't uh, allow that, so uh, they have to stop him. He's entering the rift. Fire! I insist you come to sickbay. There'll be plenty of time for that, Doctor. The bridge is yours, Captain. Is there a chance in hell we can reopen that rift? Captain? The rift is opening. There's something coming out. It's a time ship. Let's see it. We are being hailed. On screen. Captain Braxton. Do you know me? Yes, unfortunately. You tried to destroy our ship in the 24th century. The next time we saw you, you were an old man, homeless, in 1996. I never experienced that timeline. Then what are you doing here? In my century, we can scan time, much as you use sensors to scan space. The Temporal Integrity Commission detected your vessel over 20th century Earth. I was sent to correct that anomaly. Prepare to follow me back into the rift. I'm returning you to your own time, to your previous coordinates in the Delta Quadrant. Captain... We've been trying to get home to Earth for the last two years. Can you return us to our century, but keep us here in the Alpha Quadrant? I'm sorry. Temporal Prime Directive. I'm afraid you're on your own. Braxton out. Yeah, that bloody, you know, Temporal Prime Directive. Couldn't just put them a little closer home to Earth. Nah, but uh, I kind of wrapped it up. I kind of like that part where... The minute they destroyed Starling and in the time ship, it altered the future. And then Braxton comes back. Things didn't change or things changed. Uh, and, and there was a sort of ripple effect. And then he comes back to help him get the help them get back to their own time in the 24th century. So as long as we've got all that clear, <laughs> I've got one last clip to play. And then I'll come back and kind of wrap up uh, this look at these episodes. To the future. You're here. How long will you be out and about, Doctor? If you're referring to my newfound mobility, that is entirely up to me. I'm still trying to figure out exactly how the Doctor's autonomous emitter works, but it looks like downloading him back into the ship's computer isn't going to be much of a problem. Apparently the reverse is also true. I will be able to make use of the emitter as casually as you might slip on a pair of shoes. It's a little more involved than that. You know, Kess, now that I'll be to and fro, your responsibilities in sickbay will increase. I'm up to the challenge, Doctor, but what about you? There's going to be more to your life now than sickbay. Nothing I can't handle. You know, Captain, I've always wanted a little more privacy. Perhaps under the circumstances, my own quarters. One step at a time, Doctor. 
You should have seen it when the parking enforcement officer came over to the van. Tuvok tried to use pure Vulcan logic to talk her out of giving us a citation. Did it work? Of course not. Given Mr. Paris's alleged familiarity with 20th century America, it is a wonder we survived the experience at all. <laughs> Tuvok, has anyone ever told you you're a real freakosaurus? Okay, so that's my look at uh, Future's End, uh, the two-parter from Voyager's third season. A fun set of episodes, got the crew out and about. Uh, There is a scene at the beginning of the second part where they're eating the burritos and all for breakfast that Tuvok picks up. Uh, That uh, that scene uh, took place on Paramount's lot. You can see a few things even if you look closely in the background there. Those are the administration offices to Paramount, of course, who... uh, was running Trek, uh, or the, the TV series at the time. And they, they don't really bring it out, of course. You know, he asks for, a, like, a chili burrito. And you are you have to kind of assume it was sort of a vegetarian version of one, since Vulcans don't really eat meat. But just some little tidbits for you. Uh, again, I, this, uh, this set of episodes was a lot of fun, and we wouldn't really be able to end it without another cool song from Rick Moyer. So here's his uh, song called Freakasaurus for uh, the two-parter Future's End. So take it away, Rick. Yo, yo, Future's End. Jane way confronted with the ship that's out of time As Voyager goes slipping, no reason, no rhyme Back to Earth they stumble with chrono works in flux To meet a guy who steals the future just to make it bucks Freakasaurus, 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 Freakasaurus Freakasaurus, 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 Freakasaurus Tom and Tuvok split apart to visit the museum Sarah, A.K. Silverman, seems happy just to see him Looking at the movie posters, watching at the sky Reporting to a man who's starving, what a creep Back down at the waterfront, Brax is old and crazy. Janeway and Chicote waste no time at being lazy. They follow to the cardboard hut and listen to his ratings. He shows them all his calculations, shoving through his savings. The holographic doctor gets downloaded to his office. Starling starts to torture, behavior like a office. The little metal badge on his shoulder makes it bitter. The doctor can go outside with his mobile type of metal. If he tries to steal more secrets, the universe will blow. He can't make it to the future of this antimatter show. So stop him, they must do, before it gets too late. The future of the Federation could really be at stake. Tom and Tuba trying to MacGyver a radio. Sitting at a picnic table, quite a ways to go. Goliath called for breakfast as they plot to find the ship. Riding a VW, she thinks the guys are flipped. Alana and Chicote try to use the shuttlecraft. A crash line in the desert, man. Boy, it's not a laugh. Militia throws them in a cellar, mocks them just like sin. And when the doctor rescues them, the bullets run right through them. Freakasaurus, 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 Freakas
leave the crew takes charge and they all save the day The stump says bye to Sarah but she wants to stay and play The timeline is restored and the ship is what it's worth But when they get back home there's still millions from the earth Again, as always, loved it. Freakasaurus. Oh, it's just uh, just great. Uh, again, I, I don't know how you come up with that. and it, it You just blend in the episode and tell everyone about it and, and, and bring out certain points. Uh, I love the part about Bill Gates. Take that, Bill Gates. Uh, <laughs> good stuff. Yes, Starling created the computer uh, age, not Bill Gates. So, oh, One last little tidbit I was going to throw in. If you uh, watch this episode again, and I do have part one up in the uh, theater, the online flash theater on the forum so if you're a forum member and if you're not hey why not you should join up but you'll be able to watch part one and i'll probably put part two up later this week but watch the uh when they show chrono works the little uh, office building that uh, starling works in if you look at his logo you'll notice that the design of the chrono works logo matches braxton's little uh com badge from the 29th century it, it's sort of a Kind of like the Voyager badge, kind of on the side a little bit. If you turned it on 90 degrees on the side, that's kind of what it looks like. Anyway, I thought that was kind of a cool little touch there they put in. So, Future's End and Freakasaurus. Uh, I'm going to uh, let Vartok take it away with his little answer to the Babylon 5 question, and then I'm going to come back right after that and wrap up the show. The avalanche has already started. It is too late for the pebbles to vote. Baylor's name. It's awake. You see, it's like I've always said. You can get more with a kind word and a two before than you can with just a kind word. You have forgotten something. Hi everyone, this is Vartok again with the answer to the question posed earlier as to how many of the 110 Babylon 5 episodes were scripted by J. Michael Straczynski. Boy, I didn't want to count them all, so I trusted the IMDB database to tell me the answer, which lists the answer as 96 episodes. That is an amazing feat, consider how even most of the Star Trek episodes were scripted by a host of writers. You value your life. Be somewhere else. This is Commander Susan Ivanova of Babylon 5. Come back and see us soon. Well, that's it for this music and sci-fi segment. And now back to you, Rico. Rico, 
of Borg. Your life as it has been is over. From this time forward, you will service Trexin Sci-Fi. Okay, again, thanks uh, to uh, all the contributors this week. Hey, Kenny Vartok and Mr. Moyer, you guys did great, and uh, I always appreciate all of that. Uh, please, if you've got something to uh, talk about or contribute, whether it's Star Trek-related or a TV show or a movie, we've got a lot of fall TV shows coming out and starting up soon to uh, to see and watch. Oh, I did see Babylon AD last week. Uh, it was okay. It's about what you'd expect. That's that new sort of futuristic Vin Diesel movie. There's a lot of kind of Escape from New York. It's kind of like if you took um, the fifth element, mixed in a little Escape from New York, and also mixed in any any action Vin Diesel movie, you'd, you'd pretty much have Babylon AD. It was okay. Nothing uh, super, but... Uh, Probably, you know, worth a rental at some point. Uh, I don't know if it's really worth seeing in the theater unless you're a big fan of that kind of stuff. But again, okay movie. But please send in your uh, comments. Uh, You can call also the voicemail line. The number is 206-202-1548. Just leave a message there and it'll probably end up on the show. Next week, to sort of continue this two-parter trend, next weekend I am going to look at the two-parter from Enterprise from the last season called In a Mirror Darkly, which is a great set of episodes, a lot of fun, uh, some cool stuff, and a lot of TOS uh, uh, stuff thrown in as well. So, stuff? Did I say stuff? (laughs) Anyway, uh, I I think that one will be a great uh, set of episodes to look at. So if you've uh, got some comments about that, send them in, and uh, they will end up uh, most likely on the podcast. Until then, I think that should do it. No real time for a collectible this week, folks. I'll try to slide one in maybe next week. In two weeks, I am going to be doing, uh, the week after next, I'll be doing that special Stargate uh, show, and I think I have someone lined up to help out with that. So until then, everyone take care, and I will talk to you again very soon. Please visit the website and the forum, though. Uh, we also are starting and or have been uh, running the RPG game Season 8. It's been going well, so uh, I hope you'll check that out. If you uh, if you like to do a little writing, send a message there on the forum to uh, Kenny, Star Trek Fanatic 5, or Jen, and they'll help you out get, to get started in your career in Starfleet. Just like Tom Paris, right? Uh, where'd you go to school? Starfleet Academy. Yeah, uh-huh. So i got to get out of here, have a little tea, and do some editing and get this podcast up online. So everyone take care. I will talk to you again next time. Bye-bye for now. You've been listening to Treks in Sci-Fi, your weekly dose of geeky goodness and sci-fi entertainment news. This podcast, copyright 2008, Rico Dosti.